Hey, what's good? Bienvenidos. Welcome to the Mid-South Boogaloo Podcast, a podcast that serves as educational, creative, informative, and intellectual space for African-Americans and Latinos alike, an effort to encourage unity, peace, knowledge, and creativity. And I'm your host, Alexander Parker. Listeners, happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Hey, happy 2023, everyone. Feliz Año Nuevo, amigos. 2023. We made it. And today, as we remember Dr. King, we have to keep this in mind. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., a person that is held in high esteem by many Americans, is largely misunderstood. Countless politicians on the left or the right have used his legacy for their own ends. And the dream that he spoke of is still not fully realized. King was one of the greatest orators in history. Most of us know him from history books, but the truth is that he was and still is ahead of his time. His fight against inequality and police brutality are challenges that the black community still faces. In addition, he heavily critiqued capitalism and militarism, which are also topics that are in the current American discourse. He was more than I have a dream. The YouTube channel Second Thought actually has a really great video on how historical figures like Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela have had their legacies twisted over time. There's a quote from that video that I think is is really great. It says, MLK was not the civil rights movement. He was just one face of it. The civil rights movement was not a single issue movement. It has a long list of demands that still remain unheard. And in my opinion, the Black Lives Matter movement is an extension of that. Fannie Lou Hammer, Claudette Colvin, Bayard Rustin, Daisy Bates, Polly Murray, Ella Baker, and James Meredith are just many examples of the lesser known civil rights leaders and activists. The photographers of the movement, such as Charles Moore, Gordon Parks, Danny Lyon, Doris Derby, James Corrales, Ernest Withers, and Bob Alderman also had important roles in the civil rights movement. And hey, even Senator Bernie Sanders played his part in the movement as well. Sanders has a pretty good track record when it comes to civil rights. In the 60s, he was a student at the University of Chicago. There, he participated in civil rights protest and activism and was charged with resisting arrest during a desegregation protest in 1963. Taking it back to Martin Luther King Jr., even though it is true that he resonated with ideas of nonviolence, he was a radical. He was very radical. In the 1960s, it was seen oftentimes as very un-American and unpatriotic to be against the Vietnam War. For example, Muhammad Ali had a really rough time when he voiced his views. Dr. King saw a connection with the Vietnam War, with what was happening racially in America, and also with the poor. One of his lesser-known speeches, Beyond Vietnam, addresses this, and it's very intriguing stuff. I'm not going to say the whole speech, but I'll read you 
a few lines that I think are very, very interesting and that are relevant to today even. Perhaps the more tragic recognition of reality took place when it became clear to me that the war was doing far more than devastating the hopes of the poor at home. It was sending their sons and their brothers and their husbands to fight and to die in extraordinarily high proportions relative to the rest of the population. We were taking the black young men who had been crippled by our society and sending them 8,000 miles away to guarantee liberties in Southeast Asia, which they had not found in Southwest Georgia and East Harlem. So we have been repeatedly faced with the cruel irony of watching Negro and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to see them together in the same schools. So we watch them in brutal solidarity, burning the huts of a poor village. But we realize that they would never live on the same block in Detroit. I cannot be silent in the face of such cruel manipulation of the poor. He continues and says, I knew I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. During the same speech, he also says a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. Naturally, Dr. King was not looked on favorably by a lot of Americans during this time, using his language. Dr. King had a 75% disapproval rating at the year of his death. An article by the University of Georgia, written by James C. Kolb, states, His crusade to confront economic injustice and the Vietnam War angered whites, while younger black activists had lost patience with his nonviolent tactics. In addition to many Americans not liking him and the things that he would say, the government, the FBI, had a vendetta against him. The Federal Bureau of Investigation had this counterintelligence program called Co-Intel-Pro, which targeted people who were deemed to be black messiahs or black Marxist leaders. And MLK was on the list, along with Malcolm X, James Baldwin, and Black Panther leader Fred Hampton. In addition to the so-called Black Messiahs, they also had other groups under their watch list as well, including feminist organizations, uh, many socialist organizations, the Chicana movement, Puerto Rican socialist movements, the American Indian movement, environmentalists, animal rights activists, and anybody who was anti-war, and specifically anybody who was anti-Vietnam War. On the bright side, they had the KKK and the and other white supremacist organizations on their radar as well. So maybe that's some kind of super lining. Focusing on Dr. King again, the FBI, they sent a package on November 21st, 1964, and the package contained a suicide letter meant to blackmail Dr. King. And it was part of an operation, a COINTELPRO operation, in fact, against Dr. King. Listeners, you're welcome to look this up yourselves. I'll even leave a source in the description in the show notes. It's fair to say that he referenced this incident during his last speech. I've been to the mountaintop, which was which was delivered right here in Memphis, Tennessee. I re-listened to the speech recently, and basically the essence of the speech is, I might not be there with you all for the rest of the movement to continue the movement, but I'm not afraid and I have no fear because I made it to the mountaintop. And that was the last speech that he gave. And for a moment, I want to segue to the conversation of the black left. Where is the black left? Inspired by YouTuber FD Signifiers, 
recent video that touched on this topic. What he said in this video, by the way, I'll link the video in the description and show notes. He said that the black left basically has been killed off over time. As a result, the black left is, as of now, very small. Some people to take note of when talking about the black left, W.B. Du Bois, James Baldwin, Angela Davis, Gloria John Watkins, also known as Bell Hooks, Franz Omar Fanon, Fred Hampton, Malcolm X when he left the Nation of Islam, and of course, Martin Luther King himself. These individuals are part of the canon of what is considered to be called black leftism. And so because of this, I feel that we've lost a lot of diversity when it comes to black political thought. FD Signifier says that nowadays there's been a lot of exposure of more right-wing uh, black thought. And that corresponds with the rise of Hotep talking points. Luis Farrakhan, recently Kanye and Kyrie, which I'll talk about that in a different episode or, you know, probably multiple episodes. You know, what is Hotepism, black conservatism, and things of that nature. But yeah, Dr. King was part of this black left and he had a lot of leftist ideas. To flesh this out further, Dr. King gave a speech in 1967 at the National Conference on New Politics in Chicago. He speaks about what he calls the triple evils, the three evils of U.S. society, war, racism, and poverty. In other words, racism, militarism, and the exploitation of the poor. He said, in the greed and exploitation which creates the sector of poverty in the midst of wealth. Again, we have deluded ourselves into believing the myth that capitalism grew and prospered out of the Protestant ethic of hard work and sacrifice. The fact is that capitalism was built on the exploitation and suffering of black slaves and continues to thrive on the exploitation of the poor, both black and white, both here and abroad. If Negroes and poor whites do not participate in the free flow of wealth within our economy, they will forever be poor, giving their energies, their talents, and their limited funds to the consumer market, but reaping few benefits and services in return. He continues saying, we must also realize that the problems of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. We must further recognize that the ghetto is a domestic colony. Black people must develop programs that will aid in the transfer of power and wealth into the hands of the residents, the residents of the ghetto, so that they may, in reality, control their own destinies. Martin Luther King Jr. was truly brilliant and addressed the core issues of U.S. society. And like I was alluding to earlier, the things that he fought for, the things that he spoke about are still very relevant today. This is a time where activism and protesting is on a rise. Union workers going on strike. In 2020, the Black Lives Matter protest exploding from the tragedy of George Floyd. Amazon union leader Chris Smalls establishing the first Amazon union in New York. The recent development of Atlanta's Cop City, which is very alarming to the people of Atlanta, but also the black community nationwide. Keenan Anderson, cousin of Black Lives Matter co-founder, dies from cardiac arrest after being tased multiple times by the LAPD. In many ways, we're still fighting the same fight. Next, I want to address the concern of 
why has MLK's legacy been whitewashed? How did this happen? YouTuber and Twitch streamer Vosh, in my opinion, explains it in a very eloquent way. In essence, the reason behind this is that optically, disagreeing with Martin Luther King Jr. is very bad. Because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 being passed and the cultural impact of the I Have a Dream speech, everyone has to say that they agree with MLK, whether they believe it or not. Agreeing with Dr. King makes someone, especially that someone being a politician, look good. Whether or not, if they're educated on who Martin Luther King Jr. truly was or what he truly believed in. Vosh goes on saying that there has been an effort made over the decades to sort of mythologize MLK as the personification of fairness, social justice, and basically anything with a good connotation. So you can say that MLK has become a political Santa Claus that anybody from any political party can cling to and use for their own ends. But the reality is, is that if he was around today in the political sphere, he would be hated both by the Democrats and the Republicans, especially the Republicans, and be seen as a far left extremist. Again, it's so interesting how how MLK was ahead of his time, a truly brilliant intellectual. Now I want to transition to this topic. In 1967, Martin Luther King Jr. had an interview with NBC News correspondent Sander Van Cure. I recommend watching this interview. I think it's very interesting. One of the things I really resonated with in this interview was when Dr. King spoke about the thingification of the Negro, basically diving into how black people in America have been dehumanized throughout U.S. history and how that still affects the African-American community today. Dr. King said, you can't thingify anything without depersonalizing that something. If you use something as a means to an end, and at that moment you make it a thing, and you then depersonalize it. The fact is that the Negro was a slave in this country for 244 years. That was a willful thing that was done to the Negro. He was brought here in chains, treated in a very inhuman fashion, and this led to the thingification of the Negro. So, he was not looked upon as a person. He was not looked at as a human being with the same status or worth as other human beings. And the other thing is that human beings cannot continue to do wrong without eventually rationalizing that wrong. So slavery was justified. Justified morally, biologically, theoretically, scientifically, everything else. And it seems to me that the white American must see that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. That is one thing that immigrant immigrant groups haven't had to face. The other thing is that the color became a stigma. American society made the Negro's color a stigma. That could never be overlooked. America freed the slaves in 1863 through the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln. They gave the slaves no land, nothing in reality, to get started on. At the same time, America was giving away millions of acres of land to the West and to the Midwest. 
which meant that there was a willingness to give white peasants from Europe an economic base. And yet it refused to give black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years, any kind of economic base. So emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without any food to eat or land to cultivate. Therefore, there was freedom and famine at the same time. So when white Americans tell a Negro to lift themselves by their own bootstraps, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. I believe we ought to do all we can and lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But it's a cruel jest to say to the bootless man that he must lift himself up by his own bootstraps. Many Negroes by the thousands and millions have been left bootless as a result of all the years of oppression and as a result of a society that deliberately made his color a stigma and something worthless and degrading. Now, honestly, this isn't news for a lot of people, especially if you're a minority, especially if you're black in America. But I do believe that this serves as a good reference point to the African-American experience. Also, a good explanation of why things are the way they are currently. And I want to connect this to what YouTuber Vosh was getting at during his reaction to political commentator Stephen Crowder's response to MLK and MLK Day. And Vosh basically said that Stephen Crowder, by the way, Stephen Crowder has the largest conservative platform online, and he's very racist and uses dog whistles all the time. Crowder serves as an example of what people that subscribe to old-fashioned racism do. When it came to covering MLK on his show, he continually referenced uh, houses, which crack did not even exist in the 1960s. You know, obviously, you know, Crowder's using racially codified language here and things that in his mind uh, are in victims for black people and also talking a certain way, using black vernacular, being very menstrual when talking about Dr. King. Instead of talking about King's ideas or his arguments or the things that he fought for, Crowder instead uses mockery and racist stereotypes and presents misinformation in order to entertain his viewers. This is a literal example of black people being thingified by someone. All right, moving on, moving past that. Now, this next thing is very important. I want to address the concerns of Atlanta's cop city. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, I'll briefly explain here. Of course, I'll leave sources below. Basically, as a response to recent attitudes of police and due to protests such as you know, Black Lives Matter protests and union strikes, the city of Atlanta wants to build a big complex and training facility for the police department. And there's a lot of corporate interest in this as well. In this cop city, which it has been dubbed by the people of Atlanta, this cop city, cops would learn military techniques, crowd control, basically increasing the militarization of police. Within this cop city would include 12 firing ranges, a heliport for a Black Hawk helicopter, explosive ranges, military-grade hardware, and mock cities. To add, the Atlanta Police Department has been training internationally, training with European countries, training with Middle Eastern countries, with Israel. Commentator 
Kamal Franklin, founder of Community Movement Builders, said in an interview with YouTuber FD Signifier, said that this cop city is being sold to Atlanta, the people of Atlanta, as a crime-solving solution. But in actuality, it's about controlling crowds and controlling movements. What's more, the construction of Cop City is a cross-justice issue intersecting with Black, Indigenous, and environmental concerns. The area that Cop City will be built on top of is an area called Lonnie's People's Park. It was originally land of the Muskogee Indians. Later, after the forced displacement of the Muskogee, this site became a plantation, then a prison. Nearby is the South River Forest, which the city had originally promised to preserve. And on top of that, Cop City is something that the residents of the area did not ask for or vote for. As you can see, this is a very messy situation, and it's something that's troubling and concerning across the board. I urge you to investigate and to even look at the sources below to find out more about Cop City so that you can help stop the construction of this terrible facility that nobody asked for. The last few years, the public has expressed a desire for a different relationship with police, but stuff like this makes me believe that it's going to be a while before, before we get that different relationship. Now, let's wrap up. Here, I'll conclude today's episode. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a man, a figure in history, an intellectual, deserves much praise. But I hope that we can start a trend of demystifying the things that he did and himself. And I hope today that we understand that he was much more complicated than I have a dream. He had many more ideas and many radical ideas that speak to the core issues of American society. Hopefully we Americans can continue to fully understand him and to make that dream that he spoke of a reality. And I also hope for a revival of the black left. In addition, for the past couple of years, there has been a rise in protesting, a rise in unrest. And I believe that we should continue this trend. We should learn lessons from the 1960s and 70s era and do more than MLK, Malcolm X, James Baldwin, Angela Davis, or any of our predecessors have ever had. I want to use one more quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In the days ahead, we must not consider it unpatriotic to raise certain basic questions about our national character. To the African-American community, I say that today, take another look at our heroes in history and what they really believed, what they really fought for. Learn lessons from the explosion of creativity in the Harlem Renaissance. Learn about the diversity of political thought born out of the Reconstruction era. We do have a compelling and unique history. We do have a culture. To my listeners that are white, understand your position in our society. Understand that you can be an ally. Surround yourself with people of different backgrounds and be willing to have difficult conversations. To others who may have an immigrant background, I urge you to try to understand the experience of African-Americans. To have a well-balanced view of American culture and history, you have to understand what African-Americans have gone through. Si hay esperablantes escuchando ahora que no están familiarizados con la historia de los Estados Unidos y con la experiencia de los afroamericanos. 
Por favor, consideré leer y aprender sobre ellos. This is Alexander Parker of the Mid-South Boogaloo Podcast. Thank you for listening.